that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Stephen Means. That's Nathan Baird. Andrew will be joining us later. He had to go talk to Dominic Kirks, Ohio State's last standing unsigned player heading into the actual signing day for whatever that means. Dominic Kirks, the four-star defensive lineman up in Painesville, Ohio. So he'll be on later on to talk about some conversations he had with them. In the meantime, this morning at 9.30 on a Wednesday morning, we got a chance to talk with Ryan Day for the first time since the Cotton Bowl loss. And there was about a billion things to get into. If you had the text 614-350-3315, you would have gotten all this information 24 hours ago as it was happening live directly to your phone. It's the two-week free trial, $3.99 after that, 614-350-3315. And Nathan, the most pressing issue of the long list of issues is Ryan Day hired Bill O'Brien to come in and be the offensive coordinator and take over play calling and take... Basically, the, one of the more significant things Ryan Day has done in his career as Ohio State's head coach. And as people were listening to this Thursday morning, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. We're not sure yet if that guy's actually going to make it to the season. How does that, what did Ryan Day have to say about that ongoing thing with Bill O'Brien? And how does that maybe impact things if Bill O'Brien does, in fact, leave to be Boston College's head coach? We don't know if he's going to make it to Valentine's Day, let alone the start of the season. And, it was very apparent today that this decision that Ryan Day made, I thought today gave us good perspective on the gravity of it for him. That, I mean, he came right out and said, like, I don't want to not be the play caller anymore. I like it. It's 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 one of the fun parts of the job. It's been a big part of his identity. He He doesn't, he wishes he didn't have to give that up, but he already had an inclination, obviously coming out of 2022, that he sh- maybe should think about it. And the circumstances didn't line up, and 2023's circumstances finally pushed him to where he had to go do it. But as we talked about in the aftermath of when he hired Bill O'Brien, it was pretty clear that he was looking for some specific criteria. That there's a reason why he didn't just go get a flashy up and comer. There's a reason why he doesn't just turn over those duties to Brian Hartline or someone else like that that doesn't have. He wanted a wealth of experience a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of wisdom, a wealth of just um, familiarity with how to run a, how, how to truly organize an offense and also coach quarterback. So that was an important part of this too, to also taking over as quarterbacks coach. I don't think that if Bill O'Brien leaves for Boston College, that it sends Ohio State spiraling off and ruins the whole offseason. I think Ohio, I think Ryan Day can go find a person um, to to hand this off to, much the same way he did Bill O'Brien. However, I do think that when you start to look at all of the specific criteria that Ryan Day wants, there aren't that many guys who have Bill O'Brien's credentials who are looking for jobs as college offensive coordinators right now. There just aren't a lot of them already are head coaches somewhere. A lot of them are in the NFL, as Bill O'Brien just was, as coordinators, and maybe you're trying to stay at that level or not looking to to move back to a place like Ohio State. Like it's a I know that there was some consternation. We got it from our texters. Like there were people who thought it was a good hire and there were people who were like, oh, this is so boring. Like what and I, 
they think it's almost like a retread higher. And I tried to explain to people, when you look at what Ryan Day wanted and needed, Bill O'Brien checked so many of those boxes. I understand why Ryan Day did it, and I think it actually was the right move for him as opposed to going and hiring young hotshot whatever. There just aren't that many other people, though. Like From talking to people around the program, there was genuine excitement that they had been able to get this person who who got who checked all of these boxes and it what seemed like kind of a no-brainer for them. And now maybe a no-brainer isn't available. So they are going to have to, at least Ryan Day has went through this process. They did talk to other people, he said today. There's going to be other people with similar backgrounds you can reach out to, but do they it is going to feel like the plan B as opposed to, well, Bill O'Brien being the plan A for the kind of person that he wanted in place when he did turn over play calling and when he did like yield more influence over the quarterbacks in some of these other areas. He definitely, he, he did admit that. I don't want to give this up. It's just, and I, I even phrased my question that way. It was, it seems like college football is forcing you to do this, whether you wanted to do it or not. College football is forcing you to give up play calling. He said, yes, that's exactly what's happening. And with Bill O'Brien, he had a guy where it made him come to that reality easier, I guess. It made him feel a little bit more at ease about having to do it because it seems like he's going to have to do it regardless. But he also emphasized that in a world where Bill O'Brien potentially is not here, he's not just going to give it to somebody. He had a list of people that he interviewed for the job, obviously, but this isn't a situation where it's just, oh, let's just go to plan B. There might be a whole new process for this to find the right guy to do this job, which brings up the other interesting thing about Ryan Day and, and, and deciding to give up play calling and deciding to give up just being in that lead chair in terms of offensively, Nathan. And that's what it means for the rest of this coaching staff. You asked the question on what the plan is for that 10th spot, and he said they're still obviously working through that. James Laurinaitis' name came up as a guy who could potentially take that role. But Ryan Day was talking about being more involved in special teams with somebody else taking over those play calling duties. He even said he was open to either having a special teams coordinator or not having a special teams coordinator. But if Bill O'Brien leaves and you maybe have to recalculate the math a little bit in terms of what you're looking for in that, because you're looking for another Bill O'Brien who's not necessarily Bill O'Brien, does that all change what Ryan Day's responsibilities might look like going into a week-to-week situation if Bill O'Brien leaves? Well, I think that remains... One of the unknowns right now, because it really, Bill O'Brien was not a replacement for Corey Dennis. He was a replacement for Kevin Wilson just a year later. That's the kind of coach that they were getting there. I'm, I'm retra- retracing our steps a little bit. We've talked about this already. You, I mean, they had someone in place in Kevin Wilson who had been an offensive coordinator for a long time at, and, and done some really good things with it, had been a head coach at the Power 5 level. Like He was kind of Bill O'Brien light. And you could have offloaded some of those things to him. So as much as I said that it's there aren't a lot of people with Bill O'Brien's credentials just walking around, there are more people who have like Kevin Wilson's credentials. And I think Ryan Day, I, I think he could get there. I think if you had to step to that level, not that not that Kevin Wilson is, is chopped liver by any means, if you had to step down to that level of coach, I still think he would get a lot out of what he's looking for. But there are there is a domino effect here. I was pretty vocal last season about when everyone was cursing Parker Fleming's name to remind them that this is the way Ryan Day set this up. This was a design. This was his plan A, as far as we know. 
was to have Parker Fleming as the special teams coordinator with an offensive background. So you were short on defensive coaches. You were short on who was out recruiting those positions. It was his decision. And it was also his decision to keep all the play calling for himself, to to, to be so still involved with the quarterbacks. That meant that he, as a head coach, couldn't put more time towards special teams. Like All of those things were Ryan Day decisions. So the biggest decision in all this was Ryan Day, I think, finally seeing the light, as arrogant as it is for us to say that. But many people across this beat, and Buckeye Talk was, I think, among the first, have been saying that this needs to happen for a while. That's the big decision, was for him to finally say, okay, this is who I need to be. Now I just need to get the right person in place. But having the right person in place will, if he can get someone that he can fully turn things over to, like he planned to with O'Brien... That is going to free him up if he doesn't get the right person. If he doesn't get the person he trusts the same way he was going to trust O'Brien, then I do wonder if it if he still keeps creeping into those responsibilities more than he would have if he had someone like that in place. And does that keep him from putting as much into these other areas? I, I'm wondering that, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think at the end of the day, he is going to find a second choice that still checks a lot of his boxes. And to some extent, whether he's comfortable with it or not, I I think this will be the ultimate sign of growth, that he just takes himself there, that he's just like, listen, I've I've seen the light. I have to get to a place where, whether it's Bill O'Brien, whether it's other coach X, we can can throw out all sorts of speculative names if we want, Jason Candle, Joe Moorhead, whoever, like getting someone like that, I think he can get to a place where he trusts them enough that he can do what he planned to do as far as stepping back and having a broader oversight. But it's interesting for him to to hear him talk about things like, well, we'll see what we do with the 10th defensive assistant, but special teams is involved there. And I want to be involved more in special teams, but maybe I can't be if we don't get the offensive coordinator I want. And he's still talking today. Like, you know, hopefully Bill O'Brien doesn't leave. Like that's the way he's talking about it. Whereas the rest of the college football world is sort of talking about it as like, why is Boston college even doing these interviews? Like, why don't they just name Bill O'Brien the coach? So it was a weird, we we came in this far after the Cotton Bowl thinking we were going to have sort of a six-week wrap-up of this like very um, triumphant almost news conference where he could say, "We, we killed it on keeping guys here. We killed it in the transfer portal. We even went and got another defensive lineman we think is good to, to where we had lost somebody before in recruiting. We got all these coaches. I did what you guys wanted me to do and got rid of Parker Fleming and and made those tough calls. Like he had all that lined up. And then now there's this weird purgatory. I think I even used that term when I was asking him a question today, where it's like, this seems still like an important punctuation mark to this offseason because he's already written the sentence that I am going to step away from play calling to have bigger oversight. But like it looks different if there's an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. And he, he thought Bill O'Brien was the exclamation point to that sentence. And now, right now, as we're waiting on word from Boston, it's more of a question mark. And then I think do, the higher that he makes next, does it replace that exclamation point? Or does it look more just like a period or something else? And we're like waiting for what comes next, waiting more to see how it unfolds in the spring and in the preseason. Just for the sake of asking this question, he knows he has to give it up. He knows that. He said that as much. I don't want to do this. I have to. But he also said, I'm not just going to give it up to just anybody. 
It has to be a guy who fits this criteria. And Bill O'Brien fit that criteria. And whether you, Jason Candle, the Toledo coach, whatever, maybe Chip Kelly, I don't know, maybe they reunite because it seems like Chip Kelly might not want to be in U- at UCLA anymore. But any other name you want to throw out there, they all have to fit this criteria that Bill O'Brien fit. Is there any part of you that's keeping open the idea that in trying to weigh those two things up, I have to give it up, but I'm not just going to give it up for anybody, like 10% of you that thinks, what if he doesn't find that just anybody if Bill O'Brien leaves and Ryan Day just holds on the play calling for another year because of that? I think the timing of the O'Brien departure makes me think that that has to be considered one of the possible outcomes here. I think it would be the wrong outcome because I think you've, you have – it's what happened in these past month, six weeks since the end of the season is different than how he was talking last winter when he came out of the uh, Peach Bowl and was talking about, yeah, maybe, you know, we've been thinking about, yeah, it's maybe time to look at giving up play calling. Like the timing for that was complicated. You had to promote Brian Hartline. You kind of had to give him that title. I guess for whatever reason, you weren't ready to fire either Parker Fleming or Corey Dennis or, or move away from those guys, reassign them, whatever. And that didn't give you the opportunity to bring in someone like Bill O'Brien. Your 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 staff was kind of locked up. And when you decided that you weren't ready to make Brian Hartline a play caller as a first-year coordinator, which, by the way, I said from day one didn't make a lot of sense to me, like why they were people thought that that just assumed that was going to happen, um, then you were st- – a little bit stuck this year. He was just much more proactive. Like he, he didn't bring back Corey Dennis. He uh, brought in someone like Bill O'Brien and gave him was ready is giving him these broad responsibilities and to like turn on a dime now and stop this plan that's in place. I don't think would be the right call. I know that he doesn't want to just hire just anybody, but I don't feel like Ohio state is should ever be in a place where it's just hiring just anybody. I think there someone who is in the same vein as Bill O'Brien should be attainable for Ohio State, even at this juncture of the calendar. It might take a little bit more money than it normally would to coax somebody away. I don't know. But there's there's enough people out there with some talent. Um, and I'm not saying it's a lot. Like I said before, I think it is somewhat rare. But I think Ohio State should be operating in that place where the rare is still always accessible to them. And I think, yes, I think it is a potential outcome of this. And I also think it's a a potential outcome here is there's a range of how much they would give up. Like with Bill O'Brien, just because of his background and frankly, his personality and his clout and whatever, however else you want to say it, I think he was a guy who could come in and not only would you feel comfortable giving things up to him, I think he would probably, within respect of the head coach's authority, could stake his claim to that side of the ball and say, this is this is what you brought me here to do. I'm the head coach of the offense, and I def- you know, you are the head coach, but let's make sure that we have everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, kind of how it is for, for defense with, with Jim Knowles. Um, if you don't bring in someone like that, even if you are giving them those responsibilities, maybe Day has to keep a little bit more of his toes in offense than he would if he was hiring someone with with O'Brien's background and experience. So obviously there's no position on this team that's maybe impacted more 
by what Bill O'Brien does or doesn't do than the quarterback room where you've got three new guys in a five-man room in the middle of a quarterback battle where even if you think Will Howard is the odds-on favorite and the heavy odds-on favorite, it's still he's trying to learn this offense. And so are Aaron Nolan and so are Julian Sand. while Devin Brown's coming back from an, inju- from an injury, which Ryan Day said he's all good to go coming off of that ankle injury last year, which was like basically a year-long thing for him. I mean, that was a year of injuries for Devin Brown. While Lincoln Keno's also going through his first spring. So you've got five guys in a room. Four of them are going through their first spring at Ohio State. And the other one got some experience in 2023, but not nearly as much as maybe they were thinking he would get due to injuries and a lot of other things as well. I'm not Ryan didn't give like the greatest answer to how this is going to work because he doesn't really have to. But how do you think this is based off the way he talked about these quarterbacks? How do you think this is going to work this spring in terms of reps, in terms of opportunities, in terms of who we're seeing, which which group just in your mind kind of map out how you think the spring these 15 practices will go with Ohio State trying to handle five quarterbacks and four three of them learning this for the first time. I guess the way I envision it is it's not so much about what the media and fans probably are the most intrigued by, which is like jockeying for position and who's atop the leaderboard that day and who's out in front, that it's more about setting a baseline. Three-fifths of this room is guys who just got here, whether that's Will Howard or whether that's two five-star prospects and uh, Julian Sayan and Aaron Nolan. So three guys who maybe still don't know where the closest Canes is or whatever. Like they're still trying to figure some things out and beyond something as frivolous as that, they are trying to figure out the offense, by the way. So is Bill O'Brien. Like he's only been here a few weeks. He's familiar, familiarizing himself with the ins and outs. He's been tweaking the terminology. It sounds like that Ryan day was saying they're not changing the offense, but they're, I, it was interesting to hear him talk about. And I, I think this again goes back to, it really personifies the kind of person that he was looking for in that he said that Bill O'Brien came in and looked at their offense and was like, why do you call this that? And Ryan Day is like, oh, we just decided one day to call it that. And he's like, all right, but let's like, let's tweak some things here so that it, the thought process makes a little bit more sense and we can teach this to guys easier. And Ryan Day was like, yeah, I think that makes sense. Like that's the vibe I got today when he was kind of talking through that. And that sort of thing is, is why it is important to get someone like that thinks like Bill O'Brien does that can come in and think about things from a head coach perspective and apply it as an offensive coordinator. I think the same thing kind of applies to the quarterback room too, that you have Ryan day here already. He knows what he's doing, running a quarterback room. He's did it at Ohio state and has done it to some extent still as the head coach. But when you bring in someone like Bill O'Brien, like this isn't an easy thing to do with five quarterbacks and trying to find reps for everybody. So it's another reason why I think bringing in the right person with the right background, they are going to be whoever they hire is going to have a quarterback background. They need a quarterback's coach. So bringing that person in and helping them get this thing set in the way that makes the most sense for everybody from both a development standpoint, but then also just a, a familiarization with the offense standpoint is important. I think the the goal for this spring should not be deciding who the starting quarterback is. I don't think that's, it's like the most irrelevant thing I can think of right now, like to come out of April knowing who your starting quarterback is. I I think it's much more important that you are getting all of these guys started. Now with Howard, you have to do it faster because you think as we stand here today, that Howard's the front runner to be the starter on opening day. So with Howard, you kind of maybe have to accelerate it a little bit more than you would with, with 
uh, Noland and Sayan, but he should be able to accelerate it more because he's been in college football for four years and it was a different system, but they, they went, they would be bringing him here. I don't think if they didn't think he had the brain to, to do this sort of thing. So yes, his, his has to accelerate a little bit, but I think it's more important that they come out of the spring with the best foundation possible for all five of these guys, because it's very possible all five of these guys are still here in the fall. I know that the assumption is people are just going to be jumping overboard. I don't have that same assumption. I think it's possible that they get to August 1st with all five of these guys. I just want to point this out here. So when we talked with Will Howard last week, he was he almost talked adamantly about I don't want to just be a running quarterback. I want to sit in the pocket. I want to throw. The, I can run. I can run if it's needed. But I that's not what I want to do. I want to throw the ball, I, and that's why I'm here. It felt like Ryan Day was talking like the opposite of that <laughs> that time today when because he kept bringing up his size and it's it's been an obviously an uh, evolving conversation about running quarterbacks with Ryan Day and how he talked about the running quarterback today where it's like you have to be a threat. They got to be able to account for you. You have to be a threat because if not, it throws off leverage. It throws off all the, all this stuff, which is all true. But it was a lot of things that Will Howard wasn't necessarily saying as the guy who has a career 1,000 rushing yards. I'm assuming Will Howard should start. Let's just live in that world first and foremost because you don't bring a guy in as a transfer in his last year if you don't think he's going to be a starting quarterback. So we don't have to tiptoe around that. And we can obviously update our conversation here as we see things and know more information. But we had a pod and we talked about how much we thought Will Howard is going to run. Is the way Ryan Day maybe talked about Will Howard and his physical just stature and the way that you have to be a threat in the running game? Have you maybe – I've come back around on the idea. I don't think they're going to run him as much as Kansas State does. But I've also come around on the idea that if they have like two or three or four design runs a game, I don't think I'll be shocked by that. I didn't come out of today thinking that differently about how I was already thinking about this. Because if you listen back to what Day said today, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he was talking about how if you if you have a quarterback who who is a threat to run, it changes the numbers in the way that the defense lines up. It changes angles. It changes um, the leverage that the offense has. It just changes all of these factors. When you don't have that, there's an absence of all those things. So. In terms of installing, in terms of Will Howard being a running threat, he's already done that part. He already is a running threat. He's done it for four years. So, and every coach that they play this year, no matter how little he runs on designed runs for Ohio State early in the year, has to, and every defensive coordinator has to keep in mind what he's done the past four years. I don't think, you know how paranoid coaches are. Like, they're not going to take for granted that Will Howard's not going to be able to run the ball anymore, or is not going to run the ball anymore, because they know the first time you abandon that responsibility in your defense, he's going to kill you with it. That, And I think that's the way I, I have always sort of assumed it'll be for Ohio State. Ryan Day wasn't bringing in a run-first quarterback, obviously. He never would. It's, it's always going to be a guy who can beat you in the air because that's why they've stockpiled these receiving weapons. But I think Ryan Day has seen the importance of how it changes the defensive scheme, the defensive mindset when you put a guy on the field that has that potential. And I, it's it's almost as important that he's bringing somebody in who has the reputation that Will Howard does than how he ends up using him to some extent because I just feel like that's already going to be baked into how defenses have to approach Ohio State. They have to respect him 
for what he's done in the past. Think of it the same way. If Devin Brown were the starting quarterback this year, if he had just if he had thrown for 500 yards in the Cotton Bowl and they were just like, nope, stop, we're done. He's the guy. Then the whether he was running a lot this year, everybody would have looked back to last year and said, wait a second, they designed a goal line package just for him because of how well he runs the ball. Well, we've got to account for that. I think the same thing applies maybe to even a greater extent with Will Howard. Not that it won't be important that he can run the ball and that I think you're right that they, he will be used in that way sometimes. But I also think that I heard Ryan Day today talking as much about the threat of it and defense is respecting that a quarterback may do that as much as something that Ohio State has to like now put in motion to force defenses to respect. That's probably a fair point. I just thought it was he made it a point to talk about that physical stature. And he said he just kind of gets up on you how big he is in comparison to some of the other quarterbacks. We're going to take a quick break there. That's the most pressing thing. Obviously, everybody wants to know what's going on with Bill O'Brien. So get the text, 614-350-3315. As information comes out, that's the first place we're going to go with it before we go anywhere else. We'll obviously pod about it and write about it and do videos about it and all this other stuff, but we're going to text about it first. We're going to take a quick break right now, and then when we come back, Ryan Day did talk about some other pressing, interesting things as Ohio State continues to go through winter workouts and spring practices right around the corner here. So we'll be back in the woody for all that, too, looking at who who might be with the ones, who might be with the twos. And there might be some guys who might end up working with the ones here. Ryan Day pointed out two guys specifically who have a big spring coming up, and we'll get more into that when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Luke Montgomery, Tegra Shabola. Last summer, Ryan Day couldn't say enough good things about Luke Montgomery as a true freshman, and that ended up resulting in him being in that bison role, which, Nathan, we have seen other guys in the past use that bison role, and then the very next year they're in the starting lineup. Donovan Jackson played it in 2021 and was a starter in 2022. Josh Fryer played it in 2022. He was a starter in 2023. We saw Tegra Shabola also play the bison role in that Cotton Bowl game against Missouri. So both of those guys have played it, and both of them kind of challenged for some starting roles, even if Josh Simmons and Joshua Fryer eventually won those jobs. But Ryan Day got asked about both of those guys, and he said "Big spring, it's a big spring for both of those guys. And if you feel like all the jobs are up for grabs, but if you combine that with him being asked about Josh Fryer potentially playing guard and them, him saying that he's going to play a little bit of both and we're going to figure things out, would you? I'll ask it this way. If Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shabola are with the ones the first time we walk into spring practice, would you be shocked? If both of them are with the ones? I don't know if I'd be shocked. I might be a little surprised. I don't know if I'd say shocked. Um, only because, listen, you've got... There's really probably only one spot up for grabs. That would mean that by the start of spring practice... That both of the both of those guys had not only proven themselves to be one of the best options at right guard, and, and as much as I've said that all five spots should be up for grabs, let's talk realistically. Donovan Jackson, we think, will be there on day one. That's a right probably, side, probably Seth McLaughlin now at center on day one. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to tell me that both Montgomery and Shabola have pushed past either. Simmons or Fryer on day one of the spring. So it wouldn't shock me. I just, I would be a little surprised if we saw it on day one, but I think it's, it's within reason. Cause like I said, all five spots need to be 
let's you have to prove yourself all over again, basically at this point. The offensive line was just too inconsistent last year. That can't be a thing where we're going into the end of August and wondering, is the offensive line a thing this year? Is it going to be there? Like you're, you're looking at every other position. You're like, man, home run, home run, home run. And it's like, ah, what's up with, with the offensive line? Like that, that's not a place where championship teams live. It's just not. So I think you've got to have a very aggressive and wide open approach to this in the spring. But to say that both those guys would be with the ones on day one, would surprise me to say that both of those guys can challenge to be with the ones by the end of the spring or into the preseason camp. I think that would be where Ohio state wants to be. I think they need some of these guys who are first and second year now third year in the case of Shabola and some of these other guys to be like, okay, development time is over. It's time for action. I'm ready to be the guy who can do this on the field. And they need more than five starting caliber offensive linemen. They need like seven, seven or eight, ideally. And last year, it was sometimes hard to see for sure who that sixth person was going to be. We saw what happened when Enoch Vamahi started in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, They were probably fortunate they didn't run into other injuries, other places earlier in the season. What would they have really done at center if they'd had? I guess they would have gone to Matt Jones if, if, um, if Carson Hensman had not been able to play, but that would have created problems elsewhere. Like they've got to get deeper in terms of talent. So it, to me, it's more, it's less about is one of those guys going to come out and just blow people away in the winter workouts and uh, say that they're the ones on, on the opening day of spring. I think it's more about taking it. What we see now is like, I don't know, four or five guys that you are pretty confident in and getting to a place where it's like eight guys that you think like, Oh, well that guy can't start yet because he's just blocked off by somebody really good. But just look at like where he could be in like two or three years or, or where he could be by next year. Even um, I think we saw that before with, you know, freshman year, Donovan Jackson, the fact that he was getting on the field in that bison package was a huge indication that look, there's no place to put him right now, but just wait, like he's got it. It's going to be all right. And even Josh Fryer in the next year, when he's in that situation, you're like, okay, like he's, they respect him. They know what's coming. So I think it's a good sign that they're giving those guys that measure of respect, but I'm not ready to say, I think that that has pushed them past because they could, they were competing for those spots last year until we see different. Uh, my assumption is that they haven't surpassed those guys yet. That's probably right. And cause they typically, they, they tend to lean older in the spring in terms of who's with the ones and cause they're trying to give guys their last spot. But I was more thinking, I don't, I think the left side is certified unless something significant happens in the transfer portal or something significant happens in the development on somebody on this team. I think Josh Simmons is just your left tackle. Donovan Jackson's your left guard. And then Seth McLaughlin's your center. I think this is a conversation about the right side. And if you think one of those two guys can play guard, and if this is literally a co- – it's a three guys battling for two spots. And it's Luke Montgomery and Tegra Shabola and it's Josh Fryer. And that's just the competition. And through, maybe Josh Fryer is probably still a starter. And then it's like, okay, which one of them is the guard or which one of them is the tackle? Okay, well, that guy's going to be a starter. Can the other guy push past Josh Fryer as well? Or does Josh Fryer start to hold off guys? And so, but I, I think that's where the conversation is going to be. If, if we're starting to rank position battles headed into the spring, Obviously, quarterback is number one, and it's a gap significantly between quarterback and everywhere else because it's a bunch of new guys and it's five people. But 
the right side of the offensive line is probably number two for me because that's two guys who are in a position where we've seen before that position leads to a starting role in year two. And one of those guys is literally in year two, just like Donovan Jackson was, just like Paris Johnson was, just like Harry Miller was as top 100 recruits who in year two, they win a starting job. While Tegra Sabola, you and I have both probably been high on him just in terms of what he looks like physically and what that upside is. Maybe it finally clicks in in year three. While Josh Fryer, I think as your sixth offensive lineman, I think that's a quality group. Because he was the sixth offensive lineman in 2022. And I thought that was a pretty high-quality offensive line. It had three NFL players on it. Maybe four, depending on what happens with Matt Jones. And potentially five with Donovan Jackson as well. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. The only two other things. I'll just mention this. He got asked if Sonny Styles a linebacker or not, basically. And he gave the, well, Sonny Styles is versatile answer. So that's something. Let's put a pin in that and let's see where he is in the spring. The James Laurinaitis conversation. We texted this out, 614-350-3315, when it was uh, happening, and maybe it should have been happening sooner. We both argued that, that if they had made some of the staff decisions in December, maybe James Laurinaitis could have been on the road that entire time. But James Laurinaitis has been out on the road for the past month while that you were in that window where you could go out on the road, getting very much his first real experience doing so, which Ryan Dave even pointed out. That was his first time going through this because he's still primarily new to coaching. And you do have that open spot. And maybe depending on what happens with Bill O'Brien might kind of carve out how Ryan Day goes about filling that spot. But let's just live in the world where Bill O'Brien doesn't leave because that's what it is right now. Bill O'Brien is still the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Percentage you think James Laurinaitis just gets that job out of 100%. Like how – where are you at in – just like the idea that James Laurinaitis just ends up getting promoted there because it's maybe the best option on the table. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it still seems like a 50-50 proposition right now, just but based on what we're hearing, um, because we know that they've talked to people, Ryan Day said it again today, that and they have numerous ways they can go with this, you know, and, and something I hadn't really been considering as much. I had sort of been thinking of it in a, in a very, um, start to say bipolar, which is not, which has a different connotation to it, but like one way or the other, like I thought, okay, either it's going to be like an assistant defensive line coach or they just make Lauren Itis the linebackers coach. And I had not really thought of hiring an, a special teams coordinator except this time hiring someone with a defensive background. And that especially if done in conjunction with Day having a greater oversight and, and being able to have more oversight of special teams because he's not spending as much time in, in the intricacies of the offensive game plan each week, that maybe that, that could work too. And that that person would then have some sort of positional responsibility, backup responsibility on defense either. I mean, I think ideally... like. Uh, Ideally, an offensive, a defensive line assistant who has a special teams background would probably be perfect. Um, someone who you could even call them for now, the special teams coordinator. Maybe you'd even have to in order to pay them what you wanted to. And but to tell everybody that you're recruiting, and he's going to be heavily involved with recruiting the defensive line. And you can always say, "We've got somebody here. You're not going to get left out to dry if and when Larry Johnson finally decides to retire." So that to me seems like the the best outcome. But if they just don't find the right fit there, 
I also think Matt Guerrero has been a coordinator before, as Ryan Day pointed out today. If Ryan Day himself is also going to take on more special teams oversight and help, then that means it puts less of an onus on who you're hiring to be the guy in charge of special teams. That relationship can work differently. And that if at that point you just decide to promote Laurinaitis, take the positional responsibilities off of Jim Knowles, which by the way, if Ryan Day thinks that it's a positive thing for him, then it probably means it's also a positive thing for the head coach of your defense. And and most importantly, get Laurinaitis out there where he can actually be boots on the ground recruiting 365 days a year. Uh, I think that's a, both options are good. I think Ryan Day, Ryan Day was using the word flexibility today, but or versatility, I think he might've said both, but I think either one of those outcomes are, are potentially positive for Ohio State because I don't think either, neither of them comes with the op, the possibility that you would lose Laurinaitis and I think all the possibilities should have you covered on special teams at the end of the day I think that's still the, that is still the question mark Ryan Day's talking about special teams and having a little bit more oversight and etc cetera, etc cetera. but how does that get followed through on because if we get to that was the whole thing about last year like everybody can complain about oh we got the special teams coordinator and that's his job and they're so bad on special teams uh if if the opposite had been true if they'd been bad on special teams with just passing it around the other coaches it would have been like why don't you hire a special teams coordinator like it, it, it's almost a lose-lose if the if the results aren't there so as long as they can get to a place where the results are more consistent th- then i think either of these positional op- options that they have should work <laughs> it is one of those things where <laughs> if it's bad we're going to complain that you should be doing the other thing <laughs> all this regardless of which way you go which is i mean it, it comes with the territory man it's kind of damned if you do damned if you don't type of a situation that's the big picture stuff of brian day that's the first time we've talked to him in a month and i think we pretty much covered everything during that press conference they have everything that had been happening it's it's an interesting thing for ryan day right he finally did the thing he probably should have did two years ago he finally came around on it because he realized that college football wasn't going to let him continue to, to do it, even though it's he, it was fun for him. He loves it. I, I It's real life mad. Everybody wants to call plays. And the fact that he has to give it up. And as soon as he's ready to give it up, the guy he's ready to give it up to might be headed out the door two weeks after he walked in the door in the first place. I think somebody joked with him that this is the second time that Jeff Halfley has pulled the rug under him at a time that he didn't expect the rug to be pulled under him, which is pretty hilarious. We're going to take one last break here, and then I'm going to kick Nathan off and let him go do some other stuff. And I'll be joined by Andrew, who did go up to Painesville. Is it up? Yeah, it's up. It's up. That's, I'm not great it's at definitely up. It's definitely north. He went to go see Dominic Kirks, who was the final member of Ohio State's 2024 recruiting class, originally committed to Washington and then flipped to Ohio State when DeBoer left for Alabama, in-state commit. Ryan Day talked about him as well, so we'll talk about that. But when we come back from this break – Andrew will join me and we'll talk Dominic Kirks in Ohio State's recruiting 2024 recruiting class is finally wrapped up here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back on Buckeye Talk. Steven means Nathan's gone and Andrew has joined us. That's how we're doing things today. Steven's just doing a bunch of talking and Nathan and Andrew are switching out. We talked to Ryan Day and everything he had to say earlier today. 614-350-3315 if you want that information straight to your phone before we go anywhere else with a two-week free trial, three ninety nine after that. And now we're talking recruiting because Wednesday was technically signing day. I mean, right? And Ohio State <laughs> did have a player sign. It, I mean, technically it is, yeah. even if it was the last thing anybody talked about with Ryan Day on Wednesday afternoon. But Dominic Kirk's the number 162 player, the number 25 defensive lineman out of Painesville, Ohio, 
the only guy who did not sign during the early signing period because at the time, obviously, he was still committed to Washington, and then DeBoer left, and Kalen DeBoer left and headed for Alabama. He decommitted and flipped to Ohio State not long after that, and now is officially signed, giving the class three defensive linemen. Andrew, you were up there for his signing day ceremony. You're first as an Ohio State B-Rider. First signing nope. day ceremony. Nope. As oh, an Ohio uh, State signing beat. day ceremony, yes. Signing day. Yeah, ceremony. those commitment ceremonies don't count. Yeah. I'm talking signing day, where they actually put the pen to paper and the yep. coaches can talk about them as players. What did Dominic Kirks have to say about just his journey into the class over the last couple of months here? Yeah, it, I mean, it was a long journey. Um, you you know, you kind of look at the uh, the process for him. Um, you know, he did not play at Riverside High School. He played at another high school in the area, a private school, uh, and then mm. he only went to Riverside. He played with his twin brother. Um, who actually, by the way, is is trying to latch on at a JUCO or walk on some other program. So they've got kind of a football family going on there. But, you know, he, he went to Riverside for his senior year. And when he did that, he was committed to Washington. Uh, he committed to Washington in late June. And he kind of held that for a while. He held that for a couple of months. And over the course of the year, he got a few offers. Michigan State offered, Maryland offered, USC offered. Uh, he did take a visit to USC and then in early January, I'd say mid-January, he uh, decommitted from Washington a day before his Ohio State visit, visits Ohio State, commits to Ohio State. And, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, he was just kind of talking about how thankful he was because Ohio State kept tabs on him throughout the year. Like they didn't just kind of wake up one morning in late November and go, hey, wait a minute, we need a defensive end. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Let's go get this guy. It was, okay, we know who he is. And there was a problem with that because... Dominic got hurt and don't worry Buckeye fans. He's fine. It's, it's not a thing. He came back. Uh, his coach told me he quote dinged his knee. So he dinged his knee at some point during the season, but he, he missed like a month, you know, he missed four or five, six weeks of the season. So he comes back and, and that's a difficult thing to evaluate when you're Ohio state. Ryan day talked about this today. You know, you're evaluating guys typically on their sophomore and their junior film. And you're evaluating them based off camps and things like that. Ohio State had their senior film for him, and that was what they were really kind of going off of. So, you know, when, when, when it comes to that process, it was it was a long process. It was something that took a while. And then, you know, he uh, you, you really started to feel the interest pick up in late December and early January. You know, the people around me, you know, his parents or people around him, his parents, his coaches, and everybody was kind of telling me that, that, you know, like right before the visit started, you could tell that they started to get really serious about him. And uh, he went down to Columbus and he went into the room with, uh, you know, Ryan Day. And, you know, his dad told me Ryan Day was telling him, you know, hey, you know, wherever you end up. So his dad was sitting there like, oh, well, maybe they're not going to offer. Maybe they're maybe they're not doing this. And then they walked into a room with Larry, Larry Johnson and Larry Johnson said, we want to offer you a scholarship. And then from from there, it was, it was pretty much all she wrote. He had already decommitted from Washington. And, uh, you know, a week later, he became a Buckeye. So it, it was a process and it was kind of a very long process. A lot of schools were contacting him throughout the, the entire thing, um, you know, just trying to gauge his interest on on a potential flip and. Now he's a Buckeye and, uh, you know, Ohio state's getting a player who, who is still kind of elevating his game. Um, you know, he's number 162 overall player in the class, number eight player in the, in Ohio, number 24 defensive lineman in the country. So that's per the 247 composite. So you're getting a player that is, uh, he's kind of growing into, uh, into his role, both literally and figuratively. Six four two fifty five, but obviously, I mean, he's in high school. So six four two fifty five is 
He's going to play defensive line. They're going to put weight on him. Where is he going to play? Is he is this a guy who's an edge and he's going to stick at edge? Or is this a guy where we've seen Larry Johnson do this in the past? They start out at edge as they're learning a lot of these techniques and maybe they move inside later on in their career. Yeah, it's that one. Um, you know, he's 6'4, 255. I will say he's a big boy. Like he he like he's wide. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and like and I don't mean wide as in like, you know, people who aren't athletes wide. I'm talking like this guy is like as big as your front door type of wide. You know, he he's just a big, strong, sturdy guy. And his coach told me that he thinks he could reasonably pack on like thirty to thirty-five pounds onto that frame. He's closer to six five than he is six four. His coach told me he's like six four or three quarters. So this is a mm-hmm. big guy, and they see him as an end now. And down the line you know, they think he's going to move into a three tech role with Ohio state. So they're not going to have him play nose. Like that's not his, that's not his game. That's not what he's going to do. But as an end now, we'll see how his development goes. You know, maybe he could kind of kick inside, you know, a little bit like a Jason Moore type of player, um, you know, where, you know, where he moves inside, he plays tackle and uh, it's, you know, cause you, you have the athleticism. He's an athletic kid. He's got great burst off the line and uh, you know, he, he's got good, just, everything for measurables you know you like his size you like his speed you like his hands and i i just think that when he when he gets to columbus they have a choice of what they can do and i think it's it's i had somebody tell me it's a little bit like a ball of clay where you can kind of mold him into whatever you want him to be because he's that good and he's that good and he's that you know high quality enough to be able to do that and this is a guy who i think his ceiling is very high I think that you you look at him what he is and he's still an ascending player and down the line it's probably not going to be almost definitely not going to be in 2024 because of what Ohio State has coming back maybe not even in 2025 considering the talent that they've still got on that team but this is a guy who he might be he might be a dude capital D dude down the line so this is a guy, let's check on him in three years, maybe, then is what you're saying, when the physical development yeah. has kicked in, kind of in the same role as maybe what Ty Hamilton was, where it, first couple of years, I was like, uh, he, Ty Hamilton was also an in-state guy in the 2020 class. Give it a couple of years, let's see what happens, and then when you get to this 20, when you got to 2022 and 2023, that's when you really saw Ty Hamilton come along, and that's what you're saying we should be expecting from Dominic Kirk's kind of that same timeline of development. A little bit, and and I think especially if he's going to indeed kick inside to be a defensive tackle and play that three-tech type of role, because it's one thing to just say, like, oh, he's going to learn a lot and he's going to do all these great things at Ohio State, but he's not an early enrollee, and that might not matter as much if, you know, you think of positions like quarterback and whatever, but he's going to enroll over the summer and he's going to show up in Columbus over the summer and and get to campus. You've got to, like, if he's going to start putting on weight, like, if he's going to do that, not only are you kind of maybe behind a little bit compared to some of these other defensive linemen, you know, Edric Houston and, and Eric Mensa and all, all the other guys that have kind of been in the program for one, two, three years, you know, you're, you're not only behind those guys, you are also maybe putting on a bunch of weight and a bunch of weight really fast. And you got to learn how to play with that. Like you got to learn how to control that. You got to learn how to use that to your advantage. So yeah, I, I think that that's fair to say just because, the the process for it, it, it it might not be anything against Dominic. It's just that the process for what he might be going through at Ohio State might have him end up as you know what this is just a process that ha- that has to take you know a year or two to to really start to see some results. So that's Dominic Kirks. 
the number 162 player, the number 24 defensive lineman, the last member of Ohio State's 2024 recruiting class, the last guy to commit, the last guy to sign. And then there's Julian Sand, who's the last guy to come through the transfer portal. But that's not what we're talking about. Dominic Kirk's another member of the Larry Johnson's Rushman, the defensive line room. That'll wrap up the 2024 class. Recruiting never ends, though. Recruiting never ends. It just means all our focus shifts towards 2025 and 2026 and 2027 and beyond. But that'll wrap up this episode of Buckeye Talk. Like I said, Nathan, he joined us in that first two segments as we talked. Everything Ryan Day had to say about Bill O'Brien, about James Laurinaitis, about the transfers, about the quarterback situation, everything else you can think of. And now we just got done wrapping up with Dominic Kirks, which we were feet on the ground. Up there in Painesville, man. Get the text, 614-350-3315. As all this stuff was happening, we were texting it to your phone first. True week, free trial, $3.99 after that. For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.